Welcome to another Calvary Baltimore B-Side with our senior pastor, Josh Plantholt. B-Sides are a companion to the weekly sermon, giving an in-depth look behind the teaching. Now with running commentary to complement this week's sermon, here's Pastor Josh. Good morning. (laughs) Uh, Well, welcome to B-Sides. We are in Matthew chapter 4 this morning. Uh, We will be starting at verse 12. Uh, We have some fun stuff to uh, look at today. I um, if you notice, my camera angle is a little different. I have this thing. I don't know what is wrong with me. I I hate having my office set up the same way uh, for a long period of time. So every once in a while, I'll just start moving stuff. Uh, I think when you spend so much time uh, in an office or in a room, um, it it I, to me it's helpful to just kind of switch it up and break up the routine a little bit and uh that's what i did so i moved my desk uh so i don't know if the angle will look like this next week but here we are uh anyways welcome uh again we're in matthew 4 verse 12 uh let's let's hop right in here uh now when he heard that john had been arrested he withdrew into galilee and leaving nazareth he went and lived in capernaum by the sea in the territory of zebulun and naphtali So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who dwelling in darkness, uh, dwelling in the region and shadow of death on them, a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began preaching, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus's earthly ministry. So Jesus, chapter 3, he gets baptized. He's then led uh, by the Spirit into the wilderness, confronts Satan. uh, And now he is starting his ministry uh, to man, uh, to, to people. And the first thing we see him doing is preaching the word. Again, um, this is central this is of preeminence uh, in the life of Jesus' people, in God's people, the church, the, the preaching of the word of God. And then if we look at the book of Acts, what's the first thing it says that the Holy Spirit-filled church does? So it actually says they speak in tongues, um, which well, there's a lot of ways this could go, but uh, it, tongues uh, being at, at the very least a word of God, uh, 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 the word of God in some form, whether prophetic or not, I, I don't think. Um, but but they, they preached the, through tongues the word of God. And then they gave, uh, Peter gave a sermon. He stood up and, and, and preached to uh, the crowd. And what what's the first thing we read the Father doing in the Bible? In the beginning, God said, let there be light. And there was, we, we see in you know, John 1, 1, uh, in the beginning was the word, word was God, word was with God. We, we see that so much of what we do is based off of the word, which is why a believer, you, you really can't have a healthy faith life apart from the word. And it's hard to bear fruit apart from sharing the word. This is central to what we are and what we do as Jesus models this for us here. Uh, and then verse 18. 
While they were walking by the sea, by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you uh, fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Jesus is calling uh, of the four reads much more like the calling of a prophet to a prophet than to a rabbi uh, to a student. Uh, so this is very similar to another passage in scripture uh, in 1 Kings 19. And it says, so he departed from there, and this is Elijah, and found Elisha, the son of uh, Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12th. Uh, Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Uh, Eli uh, Jesus' calling of these four men is much more like that of a prophet than that of a rabbi. And similarly to 1 Kings, uh, like uh, like Elisha, Jesus is calling uh, these four in the middle of their vocation. Elisha's plowing a field with a yoke of oxen. This is what Elisha does. And interesting, if you look at the difference between the story of Elijah and Elisha, Elijah very much had tough ground uh, to to uh, till, <laughs> uh, and, and there seems to be some plowing involved in his ministry, as he was called plowing in in the field. And like how Elisha, uh, when Elijah calls him, he burns up all of his animals, he leaves them all away, gives all his oxen away. And very similarly, these four, uh, uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they do the same thing. They essentially kill their oxen. They leave all their fishing stuff behind. So like Elisha, uh, they're, they're showing us as we connect these two stories, there's no turning back. They give everything that they have to God. They leave it on that net and they say that they are now living a totally new and completely new life. Um, where this becomes tragedy a little bit is when Jesus um, dies. If you remember, the fishermen are in Galilee, uh, these four, and they're back on a boat fishing after the ministry of Jesus. It's almost like they started to go back to their old life, like it had all 
almost as if it never happened, almost as if the, the cross had failed, uh, almost as if the death of Jesus was the defeat of the church, uh, of what the, the movement was. Uh, and yet here they are. Uh, and Jesus appears to them and Peter leaps out of the boat. He, he leaves his boat behind, but this time not on the shore, but in the ocean <laughs> or on the sea. And he jumps in the water. That boat could have drifted off into some, it could have sank to the bottom of, uh, of that lake or the, uh, or the sea. Uh, again, it, it was another picture of, of God giving Peter a second chance there. Um, but another interesting connection on this vein is as Elijah was taken up into heaven, uh, will be, uh, Elijah was taken up into heaven as Jesus is going to be taken up into heaven. Uh, and as Elisha was given the spirit of Elijah, the spirit of God, upon Elijah's ascent, so the four and the twelve and the hundred and twenty in the upper room are going to be given the spirit of Christ when Jesus ascends into heaven. So, uh, and like Elijah, much as their ministry will be to the Gentiles. If you notice, uh, Elisha spends a lot of time in the Gentiles, the Syrians, um, and we see the same things true with the apostles. They're going to spend a lot of time in Jerusalem, but eventually at the death of the martyrdom of Stephen, a lot of them are going to disperse. Um, you know, Paul, or, you know, the, the, we saw John went, went over to Turkey and, and, and um, Smyrna and uh, Ephesus. And uh, of course, Paul traveled all over. Thomas went to India. So there's just lots of different places where they, whoop, they dispersed all over the place. Uh, so there's some cool connections between these two uh, sections of scripture. Verse 23, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Two times in Matthew 4, Jesus is speaking of the kingdom of heaven. And in both examples, Jesus is first preaching. And then in the second example, Jesus is teaching the kingdom of heaven. So we have Jesus preaching the kingdom and teaching the kingdom. And interesting, Jesus says all believers are to teach in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. But he doesn't say the same thing for preaching. So, to preach, there's a difference here. To preach means to herald, to urge, to warn people, uh, uh, to uh, stand up. And, and typically in the, New, in the New Testament, to preach is in the context of to unbelievers and street uh, evangelizing. And typically, this kind of preaching is a warning and urging the lost to be saved. And notice it was those... From Syria and Judea, beyond the Jordan and the Decapolis, they all came to, to Jesus in, in, in this preaching here. Now, at the same time, there's also teaching. What Jesus says in Matthew 28 is that all believers must teach the nations to observe all that I have commanded them. Okay, so here's, here's the difference. Not everyone is called to preach. It seems to be a special thing God calls certain people to do. However, all believers, Matthew 28, are called to teach. Teaching meaning to instruct, to direct, to 
speak to people about Jesus. Teaching, again, doesn't necessarily mean we, we can't think in modern day. We got to think for a century. Teaching doesn't necessarily mean running a Bible study. But it does mean being able to share about the Bible. We have to be willing uh, and able to share about the hope that we have. Okay, you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Could you tell someone what that means? Well, if you can, that would be to teach them. doesn't mean you're sitting down with a Bible study at a coffee shop and you got all these people listening to you taking notes. That's not what teaching necessarily means. Um, but, but it's being able to explain, explain the hope that is within you. Uh, and... and and this is how we're called to fish for men, by teaching and sharing the good news. And of course, there's also for some to preach uh, the, the good news, to herald the, the good news. Uh, verse 24. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them, and great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Uh, three things uh, before we go. You ready for a screen share? <laughs> Okay, here we are. We are looking at Matthew 4, verses 12 through 25. Um, uh, since we just read this, I'm not going to go through this whole thing again. So if you're listening, uh, this will be one minute. Just bear with me. But verses 12 through 16... Uh, and verses 24 through 25 uh, are the first part of the chiastic structure of Matthew 4. Uh, the, it's A and A. And what we see is that the light has come. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. The light has come into the world. Uh, and who who is this light? It is he, <laughs> Jesus. Uh, where's the darkness? Uh, of course, the land of uh, Zebulun and Naphtali, the beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. And then we see in the second A, starting in verse 24 and 28, um, that as the light comes to Galilee, same here, uh, and, and beyond the Jordan, um, same here, uh, we see that the light is is revealed and the light is received. So the people who have seen the great light received the great light. And that's a big difference there because some people are going to see Jesus and they're not going to accept Jesus. So the people who have been dwelling in darkness in the region of the shadow of death, which is in, are with the Gentiles and in Zebulun, which is the, beyond the Jordan, Galilee, uh, they will be, uh, they will receive the light and receive the light. The second B as we move inwards is verse 17 and verse 23. And what we see here is Jesus preaches the kingdom. And then what we see here in verse 23 is Jesus teaches uh, the kingdom. So Jesus's ministry is somewhat defined here as one as he preaches the kingdom and teaches the kingdom. Then we move into the seas. We have verse eight, uh, verse 18, 19, and 20. Uh, and then uh, verse 21 and 
22. Uh, what we have here are two paralleling center points here. CC. This is the focal point, but there's two sections to it. We see the calling of uh, Simon and Andrew and James and the second one and John. And what we see the same is he saw two brothers. He saw two brothers. The difference here is one's casting their nets and one is mending their nets. Um, I was talking to uh, um, Robin Patty. He had some neat thoughts there. Um, just still chewing on what, what it may mean. Uh, and then it says, verse 20, immediately they left their nets and followed him. And immediately they left their, their boat uh, and their father and followed him so that there's almost a sense that james and john uh left more than peter and I, again I, I can't but say that's true but but it's certainly the way that it's written seems to show an escalation of what james and john uh, uh left and so the focal point of verses 12 through 25 uh, as we look, as we move in from the A's to the B's and the center point, the C's is the calling of the four. This whole section is building to the calling of the four, that they left their nets, their old life. They left their boat, uh, their, their boat, this should say, this should say boat, boat and their father, um, and followed him. So it's the calling of the apostles of the disciples that is the center point uh, of this section uh, of scripture. Uh, the second thing I want to say here is Jesus, as we look at the geography of the text, Jesus left the area of the temple in northern Israel um, to a border town. And notice in verse 24, if you have a Bible in front of you, where uh, where was the first place Jesus' fame uh, spread? And it says Syria. The Syrians believed first. And also notice verse 25, the first people to follow Jesus. It says uh, th those in Galilee and the Decapolis, then Jerusalem and Judea, and then from beyond the Jordan. So there's three groups of people that sectioned here that, that follow Jesus. And obviously, if Jesus is in Galilee, the Galileans will be the first people to follow him. So, for example, if a prophet of God, if Jesus came down again and started in Baltimore City, uh, the first people to follow him would logically be the people of Baltimore City because they're the closest to know him. <coughs> so if Jesus starts in Galilee, it makes sense that the people in Galilee are the first people to accept him. But there's a twist. It says those in Galilee and the Decapolis. The Decapolis was were, were Hellenistic Greek pagan cities. There were 10 of them. They started, if you look at a map of, of Israel, and the north is the Sea of Galilee, <laughs> and uh, the, the sea, where do we got? What do we got? See, I need a piece of paper. Okay, well, I don't have one. Oh, here we go. Here's the Sea of Galilee. <laughs> on the bottom eastern corner, I don't know how that works on your screens, one of these two, um, 
It, it was the Decapolis. And then here's the, the wilderness, okay? Uh, not the Mediterranean sees this way, and this is towards the wilderness, Iraq and all. Um, so the first, the first Decapolis was here, uh, and then they went down into, down into the, the wilderness, uh, in, into, um, you know, towards Iraq and, and that way. But they started in Galilee, and they were places of immense evil uh, and pagan worship and idolatry. And notice it says that those in the people of Galilee and the, and the Decapolis were the first ones to receive Jesus. So what we see here, uh, especially as we think about the story of the parable of the prodigal son, if you remember the story of the parable of the prodigal son, it says he saw all, he, he demanded his father give him his inheritance, he took a third because uh, the older brother in that culture got half or two thirds and then the younger brothers uh, would would get one third and the point is the older brother was the one that was supposed to keep running the father's business after the father died for his wife and the rest of the family um so so he took a third and then he went to where there were pigs which uh jesus telling the story in this region they're probably thinking oh he went to a decapolis um and so what we know from how Jesus tells these stories about these regions, the Decapolis were filled with Greeks, Romans, and they were filled with wayward Israelites, prodigal sons, those who left to Hollywood, to L.A., to New York City, and just are living like absolute children of hell. And they're the first ones to follow Jesus. And what we see here, again, is all of these people are flocking to Jesus. He's restoring the lost of Israel, the outcast of Israel. Again, there's a geographic significance to this uh, because, you know, there's a proximity thing. But Matthew is showing us that there was almost an immediate acceptance of Jesus from the outcast, from those who have run away from the Jewish system are coming back. Uh, from from the Greeks who accepted Jesus. Um, indeed, those who once lived in darkness have now seen a great light. And as we look at the paralleling uh, chiastic structure there, and they sure received that light when they saw it. Uh, I think about uh, the parable of the wedding feast. Remember, uh, the, the, the master prepares a banquet. He sends out his servants, and he goes to the first one, and he says, Hey, uh, the master, the banquet is ready. Come. And he says, Oh, I can't. I just bought a property, and I got to go inspect it, which is a lie, because you would never buy a piece of property without first seeing it. Uh, so he's lying. Then they go to the second person. He goes, oh, I just bought some oxen. I got to go inspect them to make sure they're okay. You, that's like saying, I just went and bought a fleet of cars. I got to go make sure they run. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Uh, and then the third guy says, uh, essentially, well, I'm upstairs with a girl. I can't come. He's just a jerk. Um, and then the, the servant comes back and the, and the master is exceedingly angry and he goes, go in, go in, go and invite the lame, the, the blind, the, the, the afflicted. And the servant goes and he gets the outcast. And it's a picture of the, the outcast of Israel come to Jesus. Uh, and then the servant says, master, there's still room. And he says, fine, go into the highways and byways uh, and bring them in. And this is the picture of the Gentiles. And so immediately, 
we see that the, 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 the maimed and the afflicted and the blind and the struggling are first coming to Christ. And now the Gentiles are starting to come. And of course, this really trickles in, um, starting in the book of Acts. Um, now our, our, our third thought before we, we wind this down here after my coffee sip. I got a beef roast I started this morning cooking upstairs. I don't know if I'm dreaming of what it's going to taste like or if I can smell it, but it smells so good. Oh, pray for me. I'm under immense temptation. Uh, <laughs> uh, thirdly here, Jesus preaches and teaches about the kingdom of heaven. 68 times in the New Testament, the kingdom of heaven is talked about, and yet 32 times we read the kingdom of heaven. We have 68, kingdom of God. 68 times in the New Testament, the kingdom of God is talked about. Sorry if I messed that up. 68 times in the New Testament, the kingdom of God is talked about, and yet 32 times the kingdom of heaven is talked about. So it's more than double. So the question we should have is, why is Jesus talking about the kingdom of heaven here over the more favorable kingdom of God? It's an important question, I, I think. Um, now, a lot of pastors and scholars have pointed out, um, rightly, I, I, I think, uh, that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are interchangeable. Uh, as we see in Matthew 19, verses 23 and 24, uh, they, they seem to be used in connection with each other. And um, th they're somewhat of an interchangeable word. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. However, um, just logically, if they both mean the same exact thing, then why, why would God use two different titles? There must be some sort of difference or significance. Otherwise, what's the point of the two different wordings? And it's not like Matthew is recapping what Jesus did. And he says, well, Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom of God. And then John goes, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and he's recounting what Jesus' story. And he goes, yeah, he talked a lot about the kingdom of heaven. Uh and so they just kind of used, the author kind of deferred to one style or the not. But when we look in Matthew, Matthew's using the kingdom of heaven here, the kingdom of God here. Uh, and the question is why? What, what, there must be a significance to the point, uh, the, the significance to the two different wordings. And so here's my thinking. Uh, I could be wrong, but but just looking at, at how this is used here, uh, typically, not always, but typically, whenever you see the kingdom of God, it speaks of God's kingdom on earth. And the kingdom of heaven speaks of the same kingdom, God's kingdom, but typically with an emphasis on heaven. For example, if you if we read Matthew chapter five, the Beatitudes, and might I add, um, the Beatitudes are are built into a chiastic structure, and they're built around the kingdom. Uh, it's they're really the kingdom attitudes. 
Um, but the, the, the kingdom of heaven is a heavenly comfort. It's an eternal reward. So think about it. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, that's how it ends. It opens. Blessed are those who are, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's a picture of hope. Future hope. And we know that because when it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted uh, for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others persecute you and revile you and speak all manner of evil against you uh, falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for, for great is your reward, for so they persecuted the prophets who came before you. We see that the kingdom and the reward are, are placed side by side. So it seems to be, listen, on the other side of this life is a heaven heavenly reward. So heaven seems to be in view when the kingdom of heaven uh, is, is, is spoken of. Uh, but then when we get immediately, just a few verses later, a chapter later, uh, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus gets into the teaching of Exodus. Do not be anxious for anything. Uh, and look at the birds of the air. And he, he points to, to all these examples. Um, but, but when he's going on anxiousness, Jesus then switches to the kingdom of God. He starts not talking about the kingdom of heaven, but the kingdom of God. Uh, and, and because anxiousness, we're not less anxious because we're going to be in heaven one day, which is part of it. Um, but if I'm worried I'm not going to be able to eat tonight, um, I need some earthly comfort now that God's with me now, not just when my kids and I all die of starvation. Uh, so we need some earthly um, good comfort. And that's when Matthew starts speaking about the kingdom of uh, of God. So it, it seems to be as more present on earth here and now in this life. The, God's, uh, the kingdom of God uh, more of a present comfort and the kingdom of heaven more as a future um, uh, comfort. So here we are in Matthew chapter 4. And Jesus is preaching on the kingdom uh, of heaven. He's teaching on the kingdom of heaven. Uh, and, and then he's also talking about repenting uh, from, I believe, the status quo uh, and the way things that have been going down here on earth and to turn up to the kingdom of heaven. So I think when he's saying repent, I believe how Jesus is starting this is time to get your eyes off of the earth and to turn your eyes to the kingdom of heaven. I, I think that's that's what the repent and the kingdom of heaven's doing here. Repent, turn from the earth and to heaven. Turn turn from the earth and to to heaven. Um, oh boy, I'm kind of doing tai chi here. <laughs> um, uh, turn turn from the earth and to heaven. Uh, Turn from, uh, uh, it's almost like, <coughs> not totally, of course, but it's almost like Jesus is getting people's eyes off of the temple and onto the God of the temple. It's all, everything seems to, he seems to almost be picking people's eyes up. Uh, I've noticed it says that he's teaching in the synagogues. Again, it, again, it's almost like he's drawing their gaze upwards above the institutions. And getting them to think heavenly, because heaven has now come down in the person of Jesus. Jesus is heaven comes down. We're going to see this pretty quickly in Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus starts multiplying bread uh, in the wilderness. He is the manna 
in the wilderness. He is the bread of life, the bread to all nations. He is from Bethlehem, the house of bread. He is heaven descended to earth. He is the light shining from the heavens into the darkness of the earth. What is Behold, a people who have once lived in darkness have seen a great light. Where does light come from? Heaven. He is the sun shining its beams onto Galilee. Which is why Jesus next starts doing what? Healing people. Jesus is showing them that the one who removes the curse of Genesis 3, the sin that so plagues our bodies, the one who removes these things, the heavenly one has come down. Heaven has come down. And the people are clued to this when we read at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And when Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was uh, teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Verse 8, 1. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. Again, he ascends to the heavenly to give the kingdom of heaven sermon. The, the, the lights with, with Jesus, they started to come on that Jesus was other than, that Jesus was heavenly, and they are starting to accept this great light. And of course, this is how John communicates to us, of course, in the Gospel of John, but also uh, in First John, that Jesus, that God is light, uh, that he is heavenly, uh, that shines its beams down from up high. Uh, well, that's it. We're done, Matthew 4. I am uh, literally, well, as soon as I'm, I'm hanging up here, I am going to hit the ground running uh, in a few minutes on uh, getting Revelation 12 together. So keep me in prayer. It's a lot to chew on. Uh, but let's pray, huh? God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. We ask that you uh, move today mightily. We ask that you guide and direct us. We ask that you would help us to be heavenly-minded. Uh, we pray that, uh, Jesus, when, when you are moving in our lives, help us to not be so stubborn and stiff-necked and hard-headed, uh, God, but help us to be malleable in your hands. Help us to be appreciative for what you're doing and help us to see what you're doing and move in the energy and the direction of your kingdom. We do ask for your grace here. God, we pray for those in our church that are sick. God, I, um, of course, be with um, Noble as he's still recovering. And I think of Christine, she's you know doing this new treatment. And uh, Joe, God, we do ask for a new kidney for him. And uh, be with Angela and... Uh, uh, of course, Terry Shaw, God, please comfort our dear sister and all those, all those, all the sicknesses that are going through. God, we, we do ask that your light may shine, shine upon this darkness, God, and heal your people. And God, if these are there are lessons to be learned in our affliction, God, I think of Paul when he said, "I asked that the Lord would remove the thorn in my flesh, but no." My grace is sufficient. You know, God, sometimes you allow these things. And so, God, help us to lean on your strength in our weakness. We do pray. And in Jesus' name, we love you, God. Be with us. Amen. I love you guys so much. Uh, but I better get rolling. Bye.
Thanks for joining us for this Calvary Baltimore B-Side. If you'd like to get in touch or come visit us at Calvary Baltimore, our website is calvarychapelbaltimore.org. You can email us at calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you've been blessed by today's teaching and would like to donate to the work that God is doing through Calvary Baltimore, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. Until next time, as Pastor Josh says, study the Word to live the Word to share the Word. And join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore B-Side.